from 2 Corinthians 5. Um, 2 Corinthians is a letter by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. It was written to encourage the Christians there in their faith in Christ and give them instructions how to live as Christians. Um, We read a bigger portion of this um, letter, but we're focusing on um, chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. So I encourage you to open your Bibles at this passage as we look at it together. Before we begin, let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we meditate on your word this morning, that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit. Help us not only to understand, but rightly respond and apply these truths to our hearts and lives. Lord, I need your help. Please be with me and help me to faithfully and clearly proclaim your word. Amen. Before we look at this passage, I'd like you to think for a moment how you would answer the question, what defines you? As we consider this question, we usually think of various categories such as male or female, married or single, nationality or your occupation, etc., This morning in our passage of scripture, we're going to look at the only categories that matter in eternity. Each of us is either living in subjection to the passions of the flesh or is a new creation in Christ. We will also look at how being in Christ changes the way that we consider others and then ponder on what it means to be reconciled to God and live as his ambassadors. So verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 5 begins with the words, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. To understand the reason for this statement, we need to go back a few verses and look at the context to follow Paul's argument. Back in verse 10, Paul had been reminding the Corinthian church about the fact that one day we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he continues in verse 11, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. It wasn't just Paul's fear of Christ's judgment that persuaded him to proclaim the gospel, but also Christ's love. For he writes in verse 14 with, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It is in this context that Paul writes in verse 15, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So what does it mean to regard someone according to the flesh? Paul gives some insight on what this means back in verse 12, speaking of those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. There are many ways that we are guilty of regarding people according to the flesh or from an outward or human point of view. We may look at people's wealth or age or gender, fitness, health, skin colour, family status, education and so many other things and make human judgments based on these outward appearances. Outward appearances do not show what what is in people's hearts. They don't show us where people stand before God or their openness to the gospel. Judging by outward appearance is what our worldly culture does. 
In fact, one of the biggest lies of our culture is that humanity is regarded as basically good and that sin is just a result of external environment and experience. This leads to the false idea that right and wrong are subjective and most of us are pretty good and therefore right before God. This is the result of viewing our world from the flesh or from a man-centred perspective. Nothing could be further from the truth. Scripture plainly tells us that all human beings are sinful by nature. We have inherited the sinful desires from our forefather, Adam. We are born with a nature that is in rebellion to God. Even though God has given us a consciousness of sin and revealed his law to us in his word, we are unable to keep it perfectly or to live in a way that is always pleasing to God. Yes, we are not as wicked as we could be and we all do some good things, but even these good things are tainted by sins such as pride, selfishness and wanting to earn the favour of man. The best that we can achieve is to hide or suppress the carrying out of our sinful desires. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus exposes the depths of sin, explaining that it is not just our outward actions, but our words and even our thoughts that make us deserving of hell. He equates anger with murder, lust with adultery, and goes on to say in Matthew 5.48, You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you have a high view of yourself, thinking that you're a pretty, a pretty good person, it is only because you have a low view of God and know nothing of his holiness or his expectations for us. Not even our best good works can appease the wrath of God for a single one of our sins. What a wretched and helpless condition this is. But thankfully, we don't have to remain in our bondage to sin. God himself has provided a solution. Verse 17 of our passage tells us the only condition by which we are set free from the penalty of sin. This is being in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is a glorious gospel. Jesus has reconciled us to God through his death, bearing the wrath of God in our place and in his resurrection, declaring victory over sin and death. This gift of salvation is freely given without any merit of our own, received solely through faith in Christ, which God himself works in us. Being united to Christ through faith is referred to as a new creation. Our old identity has passed away. Our new identity in Christ gives us a new perspective from which we can can and should view people around us. We must forsake our human tendencies and overlook the outward appearances of people. Rather, we who are in Christ must now see those for whose sake Christ has died and was raised as our brothers and sisters in Christ. With our new identity as a new creation in Christ, we will also be faced with the sober reality of the destiny of those who are still living in the flesh as enemies of God. Everyone is either united to Christ, being reconciled to God, or they are still in their sin under God's judgment and destined to hell for eternal torment 
There is no middle ground. There is no neutrality with regards to salvation. It is with an understanding of this truth that we can put aside our judgments of men according to the flesh. Also, in light of the gospel, we will properly see Christ and be in awe of his mercy and his grace. As we come now to verse 18, I want to focus our attention on the three truths in this verse and use these three truths as an outline for the rest of the passage. These truths are, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Firstly, all this is from God. God is solely responsible for the redemption of mankind. In other words, there is nothing that any of us can contribute towards our salvation. In Ephesians 2, 8-9, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. The only thing that we have contributed is a sin that made our salvation necessary. This is indeed a humbling truth. We are stripped of any right to boast of our own achievements, but it also brings great joy and comfort, knowing God, in and of his own initiative, has chosen to love us, no matter the depth of our sin. Secondly, God the Father has reconciled us to himself through Christ his Son. Reconciliation is a restoring of a broken relationship. God is righteous and holy. He cannot just overlook sin. Sin must be punished. God's justice must be satisfied. God's work of reconciling sinful men to himself came at great cost. God sent his beloved son, Jesus, into the world, being fully God but taking on humanity. Jesus lived in this sin-stained world, enduring temptation but remaining without sin, and then willingly suffered and died in our place. Jesus bore our sin, endured the wrath of God, so that God could justly forgive us and declare us righteous. Verse 23 of our passage tells us, For our sake he, God the Father, made him, or Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, or Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. The Apostle Paul explained this glorious truth so clearly in Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that is a sacrifice of atonement to appease God's wrath, by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
And God did not reconcile us to himself so that we would continue living for ourselves, but that we would live, as it says in verse 15, for him who for their sake died and was raised. We are told in Ephesians 2 verse 10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God not only saved us from himself, bearing the fullness of his wrath, but he also saved us for himself to live in worship of him and declare his worth to all creation. This brings us to the third truth in verse 18, that God gave us... Sorry that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 18, the us that Christ reconciled to God is the same us to whom God has given the ministry of reconciliation. This ministry of reconciliation is not just a ministry for pastors or missionaries, but is a ministry of everyone who has been reconciled to God. Yes, this ought to be carried out under the leadership and encouragement of a local church, but it is not just the responsibility of the leaders in your church or a mission agency. You are a new crea- if you are a new creation in Christ, you are entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation. Before we go on, I want to make a clear distinction. We can't reconcile people to God. Like a builder uses tools to complete his work, a ruler to measure, a saw to cut, or a hammer to drive nails, we are the tools of God's work of reconciliation. He is the builder, the agent completing a task. But we are the tools in his hand to bring about his design. Without him we are lifeless and useless to accomplish the task. In him, we are the ordained means by which he calls his people to himself. As the first part of verse 9 clearly says, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. God's work of reconciling sinners to himself has been completed through the death of Christ on the cross. This is a finished work. Sin has been atoned for. And God no longer counts our trespasses against us. We are just entrusted to proclaim what God has already accomplished through Christ. Just as God ordained and accomplished the salvation of all his elect, he has also ordained the means by which he will call his people to himself. That means is a church proclaiming the gospel to the nations, imploring them to be reconciled to God. In verse 20, we are called ambassadors for Christ. Now, what does it mean to be ambassadors for Christ? God is making his appeal through us. We are Christ's representative to everyone around us. We are to speak and act on behalf of him who is our master. We must know and seek to make known his interests and make him known by faithfully proclaiming his word. We don't need to receive special training or gain extra knowledge before we start telling those around us about God and what he has done in Christ. If you have heard and believed the gospel, you already know enough to be Christ's ambassador. Yes, we should always seek to grow in our knowledge of Christ through reading and studying his word and meeting together with other believers. 
and be encouraged and challenged as Christ's ambassadors. Yet this is not something that we do on our own, in our own strength. Jesus has promised to be with us. He has given us his Holy Spirit, who powerfully works in and through us. It is not up to us to convince people of the truth. We are just the mouthpieces of God. Jesus said in John 10:27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. We are not responsible for the response of those we speak to. God alone can change people's hearts and reconcile people to himself. And he alone is to receive the praise when sinners are reconciled to him. Carrying out our role as ambassadors for Christ is something that we should approach, something that we should not approach grudgingly, not something that we should have to tick off our Christian to-do lists. This contributes nothing to our salvation. It is not a law that we must follow. Rather, it is who we are in Christ. It is part of our new identity as a new creation. What an incredible privilege and honour and also a great responsibility it is that we, as a church of God, are ambassadors of God. Let us continue to encourage one another in this task, praying for opportunities to represent Christ to those around us and continuing to pray that God would powerfully work through us and bring many more into his kingdom. May it be our ambition ambition that from our neighbourhoods to the furthest reaches of the earth, that Christ be proclaimed as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now remember the two categories that define who you are that we looked at back in the beginning, the categories of being either in the flesh or in Christ. These are a matter of eternity. Which one are you in? It would be presumptuous for me to assume that all of you who are listening today have been reconciled to God as new creatures in Christ. I certainly wish that to be true, but it grieves me deeply to think that there may even be some of you listening today who are still living in subjection to the flesh and don't truly know Jesus. When Christ returns on Judgment Day, there will be many who have sat in churches week after week, hearing the gospel proclaimed, being involved in the life of the church, who will hear him say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. As the Apostle Paul warned the church in Corinth not to receive the grace of God in vain, I appeal to you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord, be reconciled to God today. Don't delay, for now is a favourable time. Behold, today is a day of salvation. Life is as a fleeting shadow. We don't know when we will die and tomorrow may be too late. While you still have life and breath, repent of your sins and cry out to God for mercy and trust alone in the finished work of Christ who bore our sin on the cross so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do not put your trust in any of your good works or religious activities. Christ alone is our all-sufficient saviour. If you come to him, he will never cast you out. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not leave us in our sin, but through Christ you have reconciled us to yourself. Help us all to grow in maturity in Christ and truly live as your ambassadors. Lord, I confess that I have so frequently failed to represent you well as your ambassadors before others, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this failing to represent you as I ought. Help us all to lay aside the fear of what people think of us, our own laziness and our apathy, and help us to grow in our passion to faithfully carry out the ministry of reconciliation that you have entrusted us to us. Help us to encourage and challenge one another in this task and be united in this purpose as your church. Lord, we pray that you would be working in any among us who do not truly know you as Lord. Please convict them of their sin and give them a new heart. May they cry out to you for mercy and trust in Christ Jesus as Lord and Saviour. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.